Hi, I'm Deb. I'm a covenant member here at SOMA. And in the spirit of that, we're going to listen to some of the words that Jesus spoke um, from John 8, beginning in verse 12. And if you're reading from these uh, blue Bibles, it's on page 521 if you'd like to follow along with me. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He, was, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Thanks, Deb. Well, good morning. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here in a few minutes. We will get to those provocative words of Jesus here in a few minutes. This morning, uh, we are beginning a mini-series over the next four Sundays uh, where we're going to look at the Scriptures together. And this is part of a bigger focus, uh, something that we started back at the beginning of the year that we're going to be working through over the next couple years, where we as a church are not only looking together, but we are practicing what we call the way of Jesus. In other words, we are practicing, we are looking at, we are, we are together stepping into what we call spiritual formation. Spiritual formation, where we combine both teaching and practice. And for the Christian, spiritual formation is God forming us into the likeness of Jesus. In other words, God bringing all of who we are in line with all of who he is. And that's a process that takes years and years and years and years. And it's not a linear process. It's not a five-step process, a 12-step process. It's a process that is guided and directed by his spirit in his timing over the entire course of our lives until we who follow Jesus see Jesus face-to-face and are made fully like him one day. That is our hope. But before we get into this, just by way of reminder, I want to give you a few things to keep in mind when we talk about spiritual formation. The first one is this. Everyone, no matter what religion we practice, is being spiritually formed. Everyone on this earth is being shaped and formed by something or someone. We are not, none of us are ever unformed. We are not forming ourselves independent of anything else. Everyone on this earth is being formed and shaped by sub, excuse me, something or someone. Secondly, no one is passive in this transformation, in this formation. Whether unintentionally or intentionally, we participate in the way that we are being shaped and being formed. And we participate in what we listen to, who we listen to, in the way that we spend our time and money, through our habits or lack thereof, through groups and, and, and people that we affiliate with. All of us are participating in some way in being shaped and formed. And then lastly, often what we consider to be spiritual is a much narrow definition of what being spiritual really is. We are not people that have spiritual parts. We are people who are spiritual. We are not made up of spiritual parts, but we are spiritual people. 
And when we talk about being formed spiritually, what we are talking about is our whole person being shaped and being formed. Our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, the bodies that we have, the relationships that we're in. And when we, for the Christian, when we talk about being formed spiritually, it means that God is after all of us. That God is after shaping all of who we are to bring it in line with all of who he is. Transforming our whole person. In John chapter 17, Jesus praying to his father on the eve of his arrest and trial and crucifixion. Prays for his disciples. Prays for them. By extension, he prays for us. He says, Father, sanctify them, transform them by truth. Your word is truth. A large part, maybe the largest part, of our spiritual formation is being able to recognize the ideas and the beliefs of the age and the world that we live in and how they're at work in us. And then seeing and experiencing the transformation that God works when he replaces those ideas and beliefs of this age with his. When he gives us his framework, when he gives us his ideas, his perspective, his lens to see himself through, to see ourselves through, and to make sense of this world. And when you read the scriptures, what you will see is one of the major marks of maturity as a Christ follower is our ability to distinguish between truth and lies. Truth and lies. And that is why scripture is essential for us. When we think about our transformation, being formed and shaped by God, when we think about reading the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, meditating on it, studying it, listening to it, being read out loud together, all us practices work together to get God's truth in us. Not to just hear it, but to get it in us so that God's truth can transform us. Getting God's truth in us so God's truth can transform us. And before we jump into our text here, I just want to give a plug for a few books. If you're a reader, some books that have been really helpful for me as we think about and as we start today, before we get into the practices of Scripture and some of the ins and outs of this book that God has given us, we need to understand this fundamental reality that For us, our lives as Christians is a battle between truth and lies. Between truth and lies. That is the foundation. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand the relationship between lies and belief and truth, we will not fully comprehend what God has said to us in his word. And so a couple of things, a couple of resources that have been uh, really helpful for me. First and foremost is this book by an author named Dallas Willard. It's called Renovation of the Heart. This is an excellent book where Willard, it's a little bit more philosophical, but it's also very intensely practical, where Willard lays out what does it look like 
to be formed spiritually. And a big part of that, what Willard says, is the transformation of our minds. That God has given us the ability to think and to make decisions and to discern things. And that is where God often starts his transformation and his spiritual formation of us. Renovation of the heart. The second book is a book called The Bondage Breaker. Some of you are familiar with this. It's written by uh, Dr. Neil Anderson. And it's in a similar vein of being able to recognize that some of the biggest hindrances in our spiritual life, in our relationship with other people, is the bondage that lies can keep us in. That believing and listening to the lies of Satan can, can put up roadblocks in our lives, can hinder us in the life that God has for us. And particularly, there's a section in the back called the Steps to Freedom. And several of us in this room have had the opportunity to do this with each other. And it's an intensely powerful experience just to sit in a room and pray for each other and to talk about and to pull out and let the Holy Spirit expose what are these lies that we often believe that keep us enslaved and keep us changed up, chained up so that we cannot experience the freedom that God has given us. And then the last book, this is a book that was recommended to me, is off the beaten path. It's not popular at all. I've never heard of it until the last month or so. But it's a book by David Tackle called The Truth About Lies and the Lies About Truth. This is excellent. I've been reading it over the last two weeks, and a lot of what I'm going to share with you this morning was pulled from this resource. I highly encourage you to get this book and read it. It's easy to read. It's intensely practical. David Tackle and what a great title, The Truth About Lies and the Lies About Truth. So anyway, if you're still there, John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and I want to start in verse 31, and here we see one of the classic interchanges or um, interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees and a group of Jewish people that are listening to him. And in verse 31, Jesus begins to share some truth here. And he says that if you hold to my teaching, if you abide in my teaching, if you live in it, if you dwell in it, if you know it, that you will know freedom, that you will know and experience life. Knowing the truth that comes from Jesus is to know life and to know freedom. And Jesus says here, or John, excuse me, John tells us here that many people, as Jesus were talking, many people believed. Many people believed what he was saying. Something about what Jesus was saying resonated with them. But it's very clear as we go on here that they did not get the deeper meaning that Jesus is trying to pull out here. They say, well, we're not enslaved. We've never been enslaved. They were only thinking in human terms. They were thinking about their, their identity as Jewish people, as, as descendants of Abraham. And Jesus is trying to get them to see that there is a deeper reality that he is speaking to. A deeper reality. There is a slavery that they are experiencing that they need freedom from. But they couldn't see that. They couldn't see that because they thought they were free. And there is our first sign of what deception really is. 
is thinking that we're free when we're really not. Thinking that we understand the truth when we don't really understand the truth. And if you go down, beginning in verse 42, Jesus begins to lay out, like I said at the beginning, some very provocative things here. He says some very provocative things. And the first one he says is that their father is the devil. Jesus is not trying to win friends here and influence people with that kind of a statement. That's, if you take a debate class or a rhetoric class, that's not the first thing they teach you. <laughs> right? But Jesus says here that they are from the devil, that their father is the devil, the creature who is the most powerful of all the spiritual rulers in this world, that they come from him. And Jesus goes on to say that they're carrying out his desires, that they are doing the work of their father, the devil. And the devil's work, Jesus says, is to what? Murder. The devil is a murderer. A couple chapters after this, Jesus will say that the devil, he refers to him in this context as a thief, that he, will, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And what are his methods? How does he accomplish this destruction? Through lies. That he is a liar that he is the father of lies, that he has been lying from the beginning. From the beginning, this creature has been opposed to the truth. And what is really interesting here is that Jesus points out, you are helping the devil carry out his murderous intentions, not by primarily killing Jesus, that is the result. But they are helping the devil carry out his intentions by not believing the truth. By not believing the truth that Jesus has come to expose, to make light, to bring to this world. What is really interesting here is that in Jesus' most in-depth explanation in the Gospels of the devil... His primary adversary, the primary adversary of God, it revolves around truth and lies. Truth and lies. Jesus doesn't talk here about casting out demons. He doesn't talk about big, tangible, spiritual experiences. I believe that those things are true. I believe that those things are real. But what Jesus is telling us here is that real spiritual warfare is the fight to believe truth over lies. Real spiritual warfare is the fight to, to believe truth over lives. And our transformation, what God wants to do in our lives, is dependent on us believing truth over believing lies. That is why, listen to this, that is why Jesus came armed with truth, preaching truth, speaking truth, and he did not come armed with swords and spears and chariots. 
because the battle that we are in is not primarily against flesh and blood. It's not against what we see. The battle that we are in is a battle that has been waged from the beginning by an adversary who wants us to believe lies instead of truth. And so I want you to turn back, keep your finger in John chapter 8, turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and I hope I'm speaking to somebody this morning. Genesis chapter 3. In this book I just mentioned by Dallard Willard, Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart, he says something that I think is really profound. And I'm going to share that with you after I read the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Listen to this. You will not certainly die, the Spirit said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What Willard says and what he writes about this, the devil did not hit Eve with a stick. He hit her with an idea. The devil did not attack Eve with a full frontal military assault. He came in through the back door with an idea, with an idea. You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. The snake immediately plants the idea in Eve's head that God is not who he claims to be. God is not who he claims to be. He isn't looking out for your good, Eve. He's holding out on you. He's playing games with you. This is a distortion of who God is. From the beginning, the attack, the opposition of the truth is about who God is. He, who he's revealed himself to be. And the serpent calls that into question. Because if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and what? You will be like God. The distortion of God from the beginning, calls everything else into question. Because if we begin to doubt who God is, if we begin to question our understanding of who God is and who God has revealed himself to be, then how can we ever make sense of who we are? Who we are. Maybe God hasn't told us the truth about who we really are. Eve, maybe you're not just a created being designed with a specific intent, with a specific purpose to help rule creation. 
on God's behalf? Maybe you don't need to heed the limits that God has created you with. What if, in fact, you could be exactly like God? What if God doesn't want that? What if he's just trying to keep you in your place? What if God is offended by the thought of you being like him? And then what happens? These things get in Eve's mind. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Do you see what's happening here? The snake was able, was able to take Eve's eyes off of Every other tree in the garden that God said was good. He was able to take her eyes off every other thing that God had provided for her and Adam in his goodness and in his wisdom so that all that she could see is the tree that she couldn't eat from. The thing that she did not have and it looked so right. And it promised to taste so, so good. This is what Jesus is referring to in John chapter 8. That from the beginning, the devil, distraction, distortion, and deception. And this is still his method today. Listen to what David Tackle writes in that book that I mentioned. He writes, Satan has relatively little power in this world apart from the lies he can tell and the power that is released when we believe them. Evil, get this, evil is utterly dependent on deception for its success. Evil is utterly dependent on deception for its success. The evil that we experience in this world the evil that we experience in our own lives is dependent on us and others believing and falling for the deception of Satan. We hear these same fundamental lies from the enemy. We hear the lies about God, that God really who isn't who he says he is, that God doesn't seem to have good intentions toward us, that God is holding out on us. That God can't be trusted in my life. We hear lies about ourselves. That our happiness, that our fulfillment, that our experience of meaning and purpose is all that really matters in this world. And we go after that with, with, uh, at, at all costs. That we don't need limits in our lives. We need experiences and we need to, to experience everything that this life has to offer. That we, don't, that we need to be true to ourselves. That we need to live our own truth. That we need to do what's good for us and what makes us happy. Or on the flip side, that we are unlovable. That we are insignificant. That we will never measure up. That we will never be or do anything of value. We hear lies and we are deceived about our life, that God's definition of good is restrictive, that it's out of date, 
that if you want that and that thing makes you happy, then you should have that thing. That you've got to make your life what you want it to be. That you can't really obey God in this and be a loving person and care about other people. This is the devil's playbook. Deception, twisting of truth, moving us away from reality and into a different reality. And what we are also to begin to drink in and take down the deception. They drive our thoughts. They drive our feelings. They drive our relationship with each other. Genesis 3 is the framework for how evil and sin happens. Adam and Eve could not blame their disobedience on a sinful nature. They were perfect. There was no sin in the world. The lies and the deception of the snake took them in and led to their disobedience. And the same is true for us. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He writes, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Did you hear what Paul's doing there? Believing lies leads to the hardening of our hearts, which leads to a life that is lived in the worship of ourselves which ultimately puts us in a place where we are separated from the life that God desires us to live. The life he created us to live. And this is the fatal error that so many of us who are Christ followers make. I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible more often than not. I pray most days. I doubt that I'll start believing something that is utterly false. The error that we make is that we fail to adequately estimate our ability to believe lies. We underestimate our ability to be deceived. If this wasn't true of us, if it couldn't happen, of us, if it couldn't happen to us, then the writers of the New Testament, Paul included, would have never warned us against it. But this is real. This is real. Because the devil disguises himself as an angel of fake truth. Deceiver. His lies sound like truth. His promises of goodness actually look good. That is why we can so easily be taken in. It's not because we are so bad. It's because his lies are so good. Jesus understood this. The writers of the scriptures understood this. When we internalize the lies, when we 
allow ourselves to be taken in by the deception of the devil, we start interpreting everything in this world, everything in our life through that lens. What's true gets distorted, and we can't see the world. We can't see our lives. We can't see God as they really are and as he really is. Listen, we all have mental maps, right? We, we have literal maps in our minds, directions, you know, going from work to home, home to work, going from this friend's house to that friend's house, from our house to our favorite vacation spot and so on. And after a while, we begin to internalize those directions, right? And we realize, have you ever been driving the car and you kind of zone out for a while and then you arrive at where you went and you're like, wow, I don't know how I got here. (laughs) I mean, gosh, you talk about God's providence. But we all, we all experience that probably at some point because after a while, as we go those directions, we begin to internalize and we don't even know. It's just muscle memory, right? We just do the things because we've been doing that over and over again. But listen, maps that are true actually get us to where we're going, right? False maps get us lost. So if we can't recognize the difference between good directions and bad directions, we are in trouble. We are always going to be getting lost and not be able to get where we want to go. We all have mental maps about everything in life. Our sexuality, race, power, family, money, success, happiness, freedom, justice, politics, God himself. And if our maps are wrong, we will get lost. We will know where we want to go. We will know what we want to experience. Safety, security, significance, satisfaction. But we will be lost. And this, folks, is what the Bible means when it talks about darkness and walking in darkness. It is not living in sin. It is not walking in evil. It is being blind and being lost. It's not being able to see what is true. Truth is reality. That's your definition of truth. What is true? Reality. Truth is reality. Truth is what's real. Truth is always clear vision. That's why Jesus talks about himself being the light of the world in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows Jesus will not simply have the right information. But they will have his presence, his words, his actions, and ultimately his death and his resurrection, which make known to us what is real. Do you still have your finger in John chapter 8? Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then later down in verse 40, he says, 
as it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. God, he goes on to say, God has sent me. What Jesus is doing here is he's laying out the fact that he's not only saying what is true, that he is the definition of truth because God is truth. God does not just say what is true. God is truth. So if reality is truth, what God is trying to get us to see and what Jesus is trying to get these folks to see here is that what I am saying to you and what you see in me, this is what's real. What the devil is trying to do is get you to live outside of reality, right? Is to get you outside of reality, to have a different thought of reality, to see and perceive reality in a different way. And that is deception. When we don't even know that what we're doing and what we're experiencing and how we're thinking is out of reality. That's the work of the devil here. And Jesus says, I have come in opposition to that. I have come to give you truth, to bring you into reality as it really is, because God is reality, I am reality, and we want you to live in reality and experience reality. Remember how Paul laid out just a few minutes ago that warning in Ephesians 4, and he used phrases like futility of thinking, Dark, darkened in their understanding. They lived in ignorance. Well, listen how he follows that up in the next few verses in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 20. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Do you see that contrast that Paul is laying out here? The things that they had learned, that they had heard, they had been taught the truth in Jesus, that those things had been given to them to make the attitudes of their minds, their perception of reality and what's true of God, of themselves, of this world, that that would be made new. And because of that, they were to speak truth to each other. Not just because we don't want to be liars and we don't want to hurt other people by telling lies, but we are to speak truth to each other because we are constantly in danger of living outside of the truth. That is the beauty of being in a community with each other, is that we, because of the grace of God, get to speak truth to each other. We get to remind each other and pull each other back in to what is real to what is real and what is true. And Paul tells them that they were created to be gods, that they were created to be righteous like God is righteous, to be holy like God is holy, and that will only happen, that will only happen through, will we be able to see in Jesus Christ. Only through the truth of Jesus will we be able to see and discern our old life, 
the ways in which we are being deceived and we are being um, carried along by false ways of thinking and believing and trusting in this world. And only through the truth of Jesus will we be able to see the life that God has created us to live. This is spiritual formation right here. It's living into our true self. It's living into our true self as defined by Jesus. Not defined by us, not defined by by others in our lives, not defined by our culture, but by Jesus. This is who God says we are. So the question for us this morning is how do we know the truth? How can we know the truth? We can know the truth through the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God. But far too often, I think our engagement with the Bible becomes so much about our intellectual power to comprehend the Scriptures. We we can study it. We can read it. We can listen to sermons being preached on it. And we can fall into this trap where it's all about gaining knowledge and gaining a better comprehension of what the Bible says. But listen to what David Tackle says in this book. He writes, The aim of the Holy Spirit in all of this is not just to make the Word intelligible to us, but to reveal both our heart and God's heart at the same time on the same issue so that we can see with new eyes what God has for us. Scripture reading, he writes, must go beyond an exercise of our rational powers and become an encounter with the Spirit of God. That is what we're after here when we talk about God's Word when we talk about the Scripture, is that we are looking for an encounter with the Spirit of God. Not some magical, mystical, crazy, experiential encounter, but when we read and take in the Scriptures, that God's Spirit begins to do something with them in our life. As we looked at a few minutes ago, we are heavily driven and we are formed in every area of our lives spiritually. Is this internalized? And what often shipwrecks us spiritually is this complex web of deception and lies and false assumptions and wrong explanations and just general ignorance of what God says is real. All of those things work together in our lives to shape us, inform us, and lead us in a direction away from what God intends. But the truth of Scripture works in the same way. I love that picture in Revelation chapter 10. John is having this vision, and this angel comes to him with this little scroll, and he says, eat this scroll. He tells John, take it and put it in your mouth and eat it and swallow it so that he can then prophesy what God is telling him to prophesy. But I love that imagery. And that is what we're doing here. And that is what we need to do with the scriptures. We need to eat it. We need to think about eating food and you take it and you internalize it. And that food that you internalize that goes into your body 
strengthens your entire body. It nourishes your entire body. That is what we are after here when we talk about the Word of God, is that we take it into us through reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, listening to it together, that we take it into us and through the power of the Spirit that God begins to nourish our life through it. And He begins to replace all of the systems of, of belief that aren't in line with his kingdom and his life, and he replaces those with his truth, with what is real, with the life that he has called us to live. This, that right there, is the freedom that Jesus promised. That if you know the truth, the truth will set you free, that you will be liberated. I will be liberated to live the life that God has created me to live. That I will be free from the bondage and the slavery of lies and deceptions and living in unreality. Experience the life that he wants me to experience. Over the course of the next few weeks, that's what we're going to learn. That's what we're going to practice Together, We are going to immerse ourselves in the relationship between the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and us. What does this look like in our lives? How does God get His Word in us and begin to transform us through it? And each Sunday, when we take communion together, we remember and we proclaim the ultimate reality, what is ultimately real, that Christ has died, that Christ has rose from the dead, and that Christ is coming back again. This is the reality that shapes all other realities. This is what gives shape to our existence as human beings. This is what gives shape to our hope now and in the future. And so I want to encourage you this morning, first for those of you who may be wrestling with this, who may be wrestling with what this book says and what God has said here with what your experience is and what you desire and what you want to be true of your life. Know that God loves you and that God is good. And that God is who he says he is. And that's why we are here together, is that when we wrestle with those things, we can gently and lovingly and mercifully pull each other back and remind each other and give grace to each other and help each other when we are in danger of, of, of going in a different direction. And so I just want to say, if that's you this morning, there's no condemnation in that. There's no judgment in that. This is why we're here, is to help and to process and to bring each of us to a place where we can wrestle with the truth and we can see who God really is. I want to invite you, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, to come and to take a piece of bread, to dip it into the juice, and to do it with the understanding that this symbol represents what is ultimately true about us, that God has loved us, that God has given his son for us, and that God has invited us, he has delivered us out of slavery to sin and death, and invited us into true life, in his kingdom, with him, 
under his gracious and righteous rule. So let's do that this morning together. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that even though we are in danger of believing lies, even though we are in danger of being deceived about so many things, that you graciously come with your spirit and with your truth, that you don't beat us over the head with it, that you don't shame us and make us feel guilty about it, but you lovingly call us back to what's true. You call us back to what's real. And I pray for our church, for Soma Northwest, for Soma Church, in, for Soma Midtown, for Soma Downtown, for Soma Church in this city, that we would be a community of people experienced from Christians in truth, and not the truth that so many people in this city have experienced experience from Christians, which is a harsh truth, which is an ungracious truth, which is a truth that's just about being right at all costs, but that we would reach forward in what's true and what's right, inviting people to come and experience life with you. Would you make us people of peace in this city because we live in your truth, because we live in what is real? Help us, Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.